I'm Patrick Bedev, your host of ITM, and today I sat down with John A. Light, who was a former hitman, yes, a hitman, to the John Gotti crime family many, many years ago, and he talks about the dark side of mafia life. John, thanks for coming out. Thank you for having me. I so, appreciate so, it. So, you know, one of the questions before we get into uh, everything that we got, how did you even get into having a relationship with John Gotti Jr.? How did that connection, connection take place with the two of you? Uh, I grew up back in uh, Woodhaven, Queens, Jamaica Avenue, and I grew up around the mob. So before Gotti Sr., uh, Jr.'s father, took over the mob in, in our area as the boss, Andy, Fat Andy Ruggiano was the boss, who I was close with the family, with the sons. I played baseball with him. I used to box at the same gym. And uh, he was the Captain Gambino family that ran our area. When he went to prison, uh, Senior took over and uh, stepped in his shoes, and that's who you start reporting to is whoever takes over that position. So the introduction was made through what was well, the yeah, local there, community? Did you kind of meet him? Were you guys friends? At what age did you meet John Gotti Jr.? Well, Junior and me were, became, uh, we knew each other when Junior was about 16 years old. Uh, I was a, a year older than him at 17. We were introduced through mutual friends, said hello, goodbye, and he would come up to Jamaica Avenue once in a while seeing a, a guy named Johnny Gebbett. Actually, he's one of the guys I ordered his murder the first week I went into prison. I told him to hit this guy when I go to prison. So that was his introduction uh, to me and, and him. And uh, later on, uh, that ended up being, uh, I guess, me and Junior had that love-hate uh, relationship since we're children. Oh, since, since him 16, you 17. So right off the bat, you guys had a love-hate relationship. Yeah, there was uh, on his end, he needed us guys from Jamaica Avenue because he wanted to become, he had uh, aspirations to be like his father. So he wanted to, to meet some tough guys. And Jamaica Avenue is where we grew up, were guys that didn't have money. We come from a, a poverty-stricken area. Where he grew up was a rich area. So for, in order for him to feel that he was being, uh, getting his feet wet in the street, he had to come up to Jamaica Avenue and meet me and some of my friends. So his initial friend was Johnny Gabbett, who was a street guy. I mean, uh, so at that age, 17, was, was his father already the boss of the Gambino family? Has it, it happened yet? Or oh, Paul Castellano's event hasn't taken place No, yet. it hasn't taken place Hasn't yet. taken no, place. No. Okay. So at this point of where you're at, the community, are you in high school at 17 or you've already been out of school? No, I'm, at high, I'm in high school still. Oh, and who are you in high school? If I went to school, school with you, who's, who are, who's John A. Light? Uh, I was a guy that was known to be in the gyms boxing all the time. Okay. Lost Battalion Hall was in the gym. Uh, big names at that time were at the gym was David Sears and uh, he fought Spinks. He got knocked out very mm -hmm. quick, but he was a great fighter actually. Burt Young from Rocky owned him and managed him. Uh, uh, Jerry Cooney, uh, I did some shows with Jerry Cooney on his radio show. So Jerry Cooney was in that gym, same gym as me, and uh, Andy's, uh, Fat Andy Ruggiano's kids, Albert Ruggiano, great athlete and a fighter. So we all were in those gyms, Billy Streamy ends up getting killed also. A good Fat Andy's kids, so this is like yeah. the place. This is the place, this is the tough guy's place where you're growing up at. Oh, no doubt, we nicknamed our area Death Haven because most of these guys that we're gonna speak about are dead. Uh, they all got killed, so. You know, I'm one of the lone survivors, I guess, over the years, and there's uh, close to 100 guys that grew up, grew up with us in that neighborhood that lost their lives. Now, now let me ask, you, you said close to 100, 100 guys that grew up? Yeah. So growing up as a kid, at what age were you forced to be tough to survive in that area? Is it right, like five, six, seven? How soon does it start? 
my father was uh, a fanatic about uh, fighting and not getting bullied. So at an early age of three years old, we were actually working out, doing push-ups and uh, learning to jump rope. Three years old. Three years old. Uh, and we had a regiment of routines in baseball and boxing. Those were his two mm. sports for us. So we were known, and my father was known in the area as king of the kids. He would bring kids down and uh, learn how to box with us. And so some of our childhood friends, like Timmy Donahue, he's passed away also, uh, was also learning to fight with us. And my father brought us in and didn't want us to grow up in a neighborhood that was tough without being able to be tough. So right off the bat, you're learning how to box. Right off the bat. Now, your dad, who was your dad personality-wise? Was he a gangster? Was he connected to anybody? Was he just a respected guy? Was he a money guy? Was he a worker? Who was your pops? Well, my dad grew up in uh, Rivington and Delancey Street, which is a known hub, especially back when he grew up in the, you know, in the 40s and 50s with the gangsters like uh, Vito Genovese were down there and guys like that famous the gangsters in those days. So if he was a hang-around guy, he wasn't a shooter, he was a gambler, but he stood with all gangsters and he was very friendly with Lucky Luciano's cousin, uh, Charlie Luciano, we used to call him Blackie. So I was introduced to him as a young kid. So my father uh, was uh, very familiar with the, with the world of uh, mob guys. Was he trying to get you to stay away from the world? Like, what's the link? Was he kind of like, hey, you got to go out there and figure out a way to make money at all costs? What was the conversation like between you and your pops? No, my dad was complete opposite. He was uh, a gambler, a, a hustler, and uh, didn't want me with the mob world. But at the same time, he was bringing me around these guys. So as he's telling me, stay away, uh, as I'm getting older, I'm getting attracted to the money, and I see my, my father struggling. And uh, I see some of these guys, and they treat me well, and you know, I'm getting attracted to that life, and I want, I want that life. You wanted that life. I wanted that life. My father wanted me to be a pro fighter or a pro ball player, you know, a baseball player. So he had a different uh, outlook on, on things, and he didn't think, in my father's mind, I'm very close to my dad, is uh, to teach me to survive, to, to un for me to understand the mob world, but to be like him. Don't go and dive into that world. And I guess he thought that I would never dive in, I'd be like him. But it was the opposite. I went to the extreme the other way. You went to the extreme the other way. M Mom and dad both Albanian? Both Albanian. Both Albanian. Both Albanian. Okay, got it. And so he's trying to, you know, encourage you not to get in, but at the same time you're around the environment, you know, gambling, you're around, and at what age are you around these folks, by the way? Is it very, like, early, oh, early? very young, early. Very early. Very early. Uh, and are they taking a liking to you? Like, look, you know, we like, you know, we like, is there a name? Hey, little Johnny, is Johnny, is, were you like somebody that was liked? Yeah, I was a skinny little kid, but I was muscular because I was always doing push-ups and yeah. pull-ups and... So they used to joke, Johnny, walk on your hands because I could stand on my hands. Johnny, show us to do pull-ups. Yeah. And I was like a, a good dog doing tricks, right? I liked the attention that I, they mm. kept saying I was tough. They showed me to tell me to put their hands up, hit you, and then I'd hit their hands boxing a little mm -hmm. bit, and they'd get a kick out of me, and I got a kick out of them getting a kick out of me. So Interesting. I continued with it. Form of entertainment, form yeah. of uh, acceptance. So at, what was the first experience of making money illegally or legally for you? At what age? Again, I was in, a, in an environment that it was constant trouble and it was constant gang-related back in those days. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, back in those days, it was a lot of racial tension because of uh, the times. It was the 60s. So I worked in a deli, and I spoke about this. It's called Dick's Deli, and it was a legitimate job. And in between going to box and playing baseball, I became the captain of the baseball team in high school. Uh, I was working in this deli, but that deli introduced me to a couple of things. A lot of my friends that were involved with a gang called Seven and Nine, 
that were very dangerous, and it was basically, it became a huge gang throughout all New York, not just our area. Mm. And it introduced me to the corner shop, the, the uh, car service. It happened to be my girlfriend's father, and he was uh, a gangster with the Lucchese family. And around the corner was a bookmaker, which was his brother, uh, Louis Gaddy and uh, George Gaddy. And he ran the uh, local bookmaking area and uh, horse room. How old are you at this time? Um, you get maybe 15 when I start getting involved running slips for them, innocently. At I'm, 15? I'm, yeah, I'm working in, in Dick's Deli, and they ask me, do me a favor and run it across the street. So uh, innocently, I'm not looking to, to get involved to that extent. Got They're it. just guys telling me, hey, bookmakers and, and some tough guys and a couple killers that later on at that age, I still don't realize they're killers. They were humble guys. And uh, people have the idea the loudest man in the room is the toughest, and it's complete opposite. The guys I've learned to, to look up to were guys like uh, Charlie Luciano that were humble and quiet and gentlemen. And those are the guys when they could turn that switch on and kill. And I try to uh, mimic those guys as I got older. It's funny, Gianni Russo also said in New York he would run. He was a runner at 14, 15 years old for Frank Costello is what he was doing that for when he was yeah. uh, doing uh, certain favors for. Uh, so at what point were you kind of like, well, I, you know, I'm running, I'm doing this, but I'm seeing the lifestyle. Maybe there's a bigger opportunity here. Where was that opening? Was there anything that was, you know, was it accidental? Was it intentional? How did it happen? Well, I didn't have to re really, after doing that, I didn't have to get any further introduction because I'm working and I'm making $75 a week in the deli basically working full-time for the you know, whatever minimum wage was back then. And uh, if, if uh, George or uh, Louie had a, a good week and their run as Etoy, he was also a professional boxer, Etoy was a gangster, and Mousy, another guy. When they were having a good week, they tipped me 20, 50, 100. So at the end of the week, I'm getting 75 from the deli, and these guys maybe on a good week are giving me 300. And you're talking about when I'm a kid, when 300's like 3,000. What year is this? Uh, this is uh, 1975, uh, 76, 77. That's a like lot that. of money right there. A lot of money. Yeah. For, for a 14, 15 year old kid making 300 bucks yeah. a week on top of the 75. So, okay, so now you meet Gotti. You're 17, he's 16. Where, where does the relation, relationship go to, you know, come on in, let's do some more work together? How, did that happen? How does that happen? Well, I'm nickel diamond in the drug business. Uh, Albert Ruggiano is my, you know, what you would say, umbrella, and he's a couple of years older than me. And uh, if I had any issues, I would bring it to Albert. At the time, his dad was still the boss. And as when his dad leaves, I'm also dabbling in a bookmaking business. And uh, Gebbett has a problem with Gotti on a street with some Jamaicans. They rob, uh, uh, um, I think, about two or three hundred pounds at that time. Uh, Gebbett was moving weed at that time, what we call weed back then. Uh, and Gotti was his partner. They asked me to take a ride and be the shooter with, with Gebbett. Actually, I was the driver, Gebbett was the shooter. And that was the first time they asked me to do a favor, and it was really Gebbett that was asking me to favor because he lived around the corner from me, and he was friends with Gotti and friends with me. So he said, would you do me a favor and take the ride? I said, yeah. And we met Gotti to discuss how we were gonna do it. And that was probably the, the, the first major step into uh, becoming, later on, involved in setting up uh, multiple killing shootings and, and beatings around the city. What was the first time the request was made? Like, uh, how did they know you were the guy to go to? Had you already killed people well, before or it had never happened before? No, I, you know, most of my friends, unlike what people think, because they know my history now, they think I was a wild kid with guns and knives and bats. It was actually the complete opposite. All my friends are in 7 and 9 gang. 
my f first friend, Michael Stratton, ends up killing a kid at 16 and going to prison. Another young guy, Tommy Turner, kills another guy uh, that works at Dick's Deli with us. Uh, and uh, they try to jump him, he stabbed the guy up. Uh, he went to jail. So these guys that were growing up with me, the Bonner brothers, they're using guns. Everybody's using guns. My friend Mikey uh, Merlo gets shot in the head with a shotgun, uh, chasing a guy that had the gun. So he'll tell you the mentality of us. He, he's chasing a guy that actually has the shotgun with no gun, and he loses his life there. So I was kind of innocent compared to them. I wasn't running around with guns. I was fighting with my hands. As I'm getting uh, acclimated with all my friends and was surrounding uh, people that are surrounded around my life, I start slowly picking up knives, bats, and then I go into the guns. So after that shooting with Gebbett, I think that opened the door for people to say, oh, this kid will do anything. Mm. Got it. So what was your first experience with knives and bats? Was it still in your teens or? Oh, yeah, it was in my teens. Oh, oh yeah. was it your yeah. teens? Yeah. By the time I'm 17, uh, I start using a bat like crazy, too. At uh, 17? 17. By the time I'm 19, I've stabbed a couple of guys, batted a couple of guys. I got stabbed up and batted myself at 19. I almost lost my life that year. I was in and out of the hospitals for about a year. And uh, now I really understood the life. And I started to understand as I'm climbing up the ladder, I'm losing my cousin, Patsy Adriano Sr. gets killed, and Mikey Merlo gets killed, and Billy Estrema gets killed. And uh, What is this doing to you? When, when this is happening and you're seeing people that are friends, family getting killed, are you getting the retaliatory, are you getting the retaliation blood in you or no? You're just kind of seeing what's going on, you got to protect yourself. No, I, I'm getting like you're doing as a journalist and as, a, as an interview person and you, you develop and you become top in your field, right? You become somebody that's going to be the best and you're going to do your homework and you're going to study and you're going to make sure that uh, you don't make mistakes and you're going to go as, as close as you can as 100% to be an expert in your business. So I decided. I'm not going to be the next victim like all my friends. They're all getting killed out of stupidity, out of trust, of uh, trusting. So you got to cut those odds down. And I said to myself, I'm going to be very aggressive and I'm going to understand I'm not 14 or 15 or 16 anymore. When someone comes after me, they know I'm dangerous now, they're going to come to kill me. So Who, who are you trusting at that time? You Do know, you have people that you trust 100%? Oh, yeah, I had I had a ton of guys. As I'm getting older and I'm moving in the drug business, bookmaking business, right. I have dozens of guys that work for me, and it goes into hundreds later on as I keep getting older and I'm and I start my own crews and with the OK with the Gambino family. So I become a a big earner on the street, and I become a guy that's well known with different crews, and and I'm trusting my guys, and I'm also trusting the mob, almost blindly, you know, believing that uh, there's loyalty and there's honor and there's no treachery, and I'm still naive, right? I'm a young kid that loves this life, believes in it, and as I start seeing some things as I'm getting older and understanding, there is no honor, it's treachery, there is no love, it's only about money, it's only about an individual surviving, and I'm watching as I'm going through the life and getting bigger and, and stronger in this life and being more successful, mm. that I'm watching gangster made guy after made guy, you know, cooperating, ratting, breaking the oath, uh, our laws, our rules that I live by, although I'm Albanian. But what was the first request that made by maybe, you know, John Jr.'s father 
that came down? Did you have a meeting with John Sr.? Have you had multiple meetings with them? Oh, at this point, I've met Gotti Sr., Angelo Ruggiero. I got a report to the club uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week when I'm called. I have to be there early in the morning like a job. How I gotta old are you get up. Some, uh, 18 plus? Yeah, I'm about uh, 19, more okay. so, 19. Uh, it's, it's about the time I get stabbed up and everything. And uh, I don't come a couple of times. And I think Gotti Sr. at this time thinks I'm just one of his son's friends and I don't need to be there. And uh, I get a knock on my door, and it's my grandmother upstairs. We live in the same house. And she says, Johnny, there's a, a big black car outside, and there's somebody's out there. So I go out there and it's Gotti Sr.'s brothers. It's Pete Gotti and Richie Gotti. At the time, both guys aren't me, guys. And uh, they said to him, mate, hey, where the fuck are you? And his brothers, he says, what are you talking about? He says, my brother's looking for you. And I look at him funny like, and then I start realizing, wait a second. You know, to myself a split second, and I go back upstairs and I come down and I says, let's go. And they said, you know, he wants to talk to you. So that's when I realized that uh, I'm just not some kid to him. I'm not his son's friend. Uh, we're not in a gang. This is not a, you know, a school trip. Now I'm starting to really realize this guy's noticing me and he's watching what I'm doing. And I'm still not understanding it. That these orders I'm getting, collect money, go baseball bat this guy, go pick up this, is actually coming from the father. You know, I just think it's us doing our own business on our own. Jeannie Gotti's still alive, uh, still around at the time. He's not locked up yet. And... Uh, I just believe it's that. And then I start to, it, it opens my eyes and said, this guy is, he's very aware of what we're doing. He's very aware that we're moving drugs. He just says he is it. Because I'm not schooled fully yet. I'm still a kid, not understanding the intricacies of the, the mafia. I'm not understanding, I'm not slick enough yet to understand how things are operating. You say something, but you might mean something else. You're doing something and they're telling you they had no knowledge of it, but they're the ones that sent you. I start understanding all the, the double dealings and the treachery in the life. Who's teaching you? Like, who is your lefty to uh, Danny Barrasco or your Sonny? Who's playing that role in your life that is kind of mentoring you say, like, here's what it is, here's what Omerta is, here's the code of this, here's this. Who is who's doing that with you? Well, it was a guy, Ronnie Martino, who was a, a known killer back in Dick's Deli. and uh, Gambino he, family. No. Outside of the Gambino family. He had a brother-in-law that was uh, involved with the Gambino family, but he was involved with the Lucchese family. And I had a lot of Lucchese. He had a brother, Gambino, and he's Lucchese. Not a brother, a brother-in-law. A brother-in-law, got it. And, you know, it's not what everybody thinks. It's not, you know, most, there's five families in New York. There's the outfit in Chicago. There's the Philadelphia mob. There's mm -hmm. the Cavacanti family in North Jersey. We're, we all mingle, inter, intermingle with each other. We do business with each other. We're friends with each other but we also kill each other on orders. So it, it, it's, it's not as simple and cut and dry that people, there's a lot of people out there that think they know the mob and they think they understand it and there's people that are so naive and there's people that think they're uh, experts in this world and this life. There's guys like Sammy Gravano, who's a friend of mine and uh, other guys that there are ex-skippers and bosses and underbosses that we're all in touch with and we live that life. And even us, we have daily problems understanding the life and the treachery. And as we all got out of the life and moved on with our lives or our friends died or got killed, you know, it, there's people that challenge us. And these days, you know, you could challenge anybody through a computer. Or they talk and they just talk such nonsense because they have no idea or clue of the treachery that involves when you get to the level that we were playing at. And so, so, at, so what's the next place? So now they're coming, the brothers are coming, you're in the car, you're like, 
I got to go. These guys, he knows what's going on. The orders are coming from the top. You go in. So now there's almost a level of accountability from his end, and the son is a friend, but it's not, you're not yet reporting to anybody, or are you? Well, now I start reporting. It's about close to uh, Paul Castellano getting killed. So it's the end of 84 about uh, prior to Paul getting killed. I start reporting and having conversations uh, more with Senior Gotti. Uh, prior to that, I was involved with uh, Jeannie Gotti, Johnny Cornelia, uh, anybody that was around, Willie Boy Johnson uh, was on a half sheet with him, and Gotti Sr. sent me to him. So I understood that Gotti was my partner, mm -hmm. the father. Uh, and we had the New York Mets gambling with me. So, uh, so when I, 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 I moved to a different level. Uh, we, used to play at, uh, we used to hang out at a place called Channel 80, and it was a known spot for all so gangsters. You'd pull up with a boat. We all had cigarette boats in those days. Uh, I had a 280 Baja with Gotti Jr. And we'd pull up to those places, and uh, Roger Basile owned it. He was around Jimmy Burke from Goodfellas. Uh, his son, Frankie, was a good friend of mine. He gets killed also. And uh, I start understanding that uh, we're all uh, living a pretty dangerous life now. Any moment, anybody could get killed. It didn't matter who it was, where it was, uh, in your house, in a business. And it's not like these days where guys aren't shooting. When we were growing up, 70s, 80s, 90s, uh, there was killing was rampant, shootings were rampant, and battings were rampant. Uh, so when I'm doing business and I'm talking to uh, Willie Boy Johnson, I understand uh, where it's coming from yeah. now. And Gotti had his co conversations with me, so I understand, Senior had his conversations with me, so I understand the orders are coming from him. Did you know, were you involved in, in the Castellano before it happened with Sammy and, and, and the team? Was there anything that you know about or that wasn't at your level yet? No, it was at my level, it was, but it was through his son, Junior. Uh, loved to talk to me and brag to me. So, privately, Junior told me, uh, I knew I'm involved with Angelo Ruggiero. So I was close with them, I'm close with Johnny Koenig. At this time, I gave a beating to Patsy Catalano's kid, uh, Jeff, who was in the heroin business. Uh, Jeannie Gotti and Johnny Koenig asked me to hurt him. I gave a beating to a guy, Frankie. Uh, you know, these beatings are serious beatings, not with your hands. Bad. Bats, uh, yeah. uh, blackjacks. Uh, a guy, Frankie, that strayed away from Johnny Koenig and they asked me to hurt him. Another guy, Mitch Sanders, they asked me to hurt him uh, over uh, some sort of rape with his girlfriend's sister. They accuse him, they go ask him, they ask the Gambino family, do the work, Johnny comes to me. So I start understanding, I hurt Gene Foster on the beach, and I start hurting guys, and batting guys, and piping guys, and uh, it's coming from, at that time, I didn't really understand it was coming from Gotti Sr. until until he didn't like that I didn't jump on a situation fast enough and he called me in his office and he said, didn't my son tell you to do something? And then the next conversation I had was, if it's not done, you're gonna have a problem. So I took care of business. Son, uh, senior told you this? Yeah. Uh, and then I went through that was on that a regular basis. No, these are beatings still. Oh, you still haven't, uh, you still haven't... Uh, I'm doing shootings, but I, I haven't killed anybody okay. besides uh, the Gebbit, and he was the actual shooter. So I don't know how many guys died on that shooting. But, you know, we hit, I believe, three guys. And maybe a girl actually was there. So, uh, you know, you don't stand back there and count how many guys are going mm -hmm. down. You know they're going down. They're screaming and he's shooting like crazy. So that's your first one? Yeah, that's my first year. I was young. I was 19 years old. What happened? When that happened to you, were, were you like, I cannot believe I just did this? What, what the hell just happened? Or were you? I was mad because uh, I talk about this. Gotti and a kid, Jerry, were following us in a K-car, Junior, and they were supposed to be our blockers. 
and they took off and made a left when the police were chasing us. Happened, the police just stumbled on us. They were coming in the direction of the shooting. It wasn't, and we weren't far from the precincts, from 102nd Precinct, so there's a lot of police cars there. I mean, for them to be coming down the block at that time, you got some bad luck. So after we do the shooting, I would think, you know, I wasn't sure how I would react either, like you're saying. Naturally, you're not sure. Are you gonna hold your mud? Or are you gonna panic? Or are you gonna, it became very natural to me. It was very easy, I pulled away. The cops were chasing us. Gebbett left the gun in my car and he jumped out while I was moving. I was going slow down a, a, a one-way street. Not slow, but I was coming up to the stop sign. And he jumped out and he said, let me out. As he jumped out, he left the gun and the cops started chasing me. And my, my follow call, my backup car, was supposed to be Gotti and his kid Jerry. And they had an excuse why they jumped out. So really, I'm the only guy holding the mud and I was heading down towards Atlantic Avenue. It was a one, I know the streets there because we lived there. And I know it's a one way. I open up the passenger door, I open up the other door, I take the gun and I start huffing on my feet and I leave the car so the cops can't go by. I get across Atlantic Avenue, I start jumping fences in some backyards and I'm taking the gun apart and dropping it in sewers as I'm running. And I get myself back to our club on 113th Street and I'm steaming. And I says, now I want Gebbett. This is the first time I'm saying, okay, I'm gonna get Gebbett. So Gebbett came to the shooting high. He was smoking dust. And he's a wild guy. You know, no doubt, I know Gebbett since he's a kid. He's a shooter, he shot a lot of guys, but he's a, you know, he's a guy that's smoking angel dust. He's, so I, I look at him in a different light now. You're weak, you can't do work without doing that. You left me, and I'm looking at Gotti, and I'm thinking, that's all I'm thinking. And uh, why I stick around is because I have a bigger plan for myself. Because everybody asked me that question, why do you stick around? I says, because Junior wasn't my direction. His father was the direction I was trying to go. And Angelo Ruggiero at the time is uh, moving heroin with Jeannie Gotti, Johnny Koenig. They all get pinched, Mark Ryder. And uh, I'm very friendly with them. And I'm moving some, I, I start moving packages, not in their level in small levels, but I'm moving it through Rikers Island, through another guy that said Rikers Island, uh, a guy Chrissy, Pete Chrissy, he's dead. He died also, but his brothers are still around there. His brothers work for me. Actually, one of his brothers, Tommy Chrissy, shot Gebbett up uh, before we kill him, on all of us on a kill when we see him, uh, which he lived. But uh, I'm in a different circle, and I understand what, what I'm involved with now, with Angela, with Johnny, and the shooting start, the drug business starts. So I understand, and I know where I want to go. I got the New York Mets gambling with me. And actually, somebody questioned that. I don't remember who. And they came out with a check from Keith Hernandez of $5,000 to show they were paying. They found the $5,000 yeah, check Yeah, they put it. It was Hernandez. in the papers. It was in the New York papers. So that's documented. It's documented. Got it. You know, a lot of this stuff I'm, I'm speaking about, there's a new book I'm, I'm coming out with. Right. Doc, Doc's out, too. And... Uh, I'm gonna come back this time, you know, because I'm gonna talk about shooting after shooting, stabbing after stabbing. But this time I told my author I want the witnesses and their names besides the victims in that book. And I'm gonna do a scorecard inside. So I'm gonna show it step by step for the people that don't understand the life. So at that moment when that event happened with Gotti Jr., is your level of trusting him at a good score, and then after that, it's a scar where you kind of keep it in the back of your mind saying, I can never trust this guy. Like, wh wh where are you with him? Because there are certain things where you see somebody do something in the back of your mind, you're like, okay, it's done, I can never trust this guy, but I have to act like I do. 
Is that kind of what happened between uh, the two of you? A hundred percent, because people ask you this, you know, during the trials, they were, they, there's a lot of questions from right. lawyers and journalists and, you know, and I said to them, listen, I tell everybody the same thing. You had other positions before this. As a kid, you're growing up and there's bosses you don't respect, you don't trust, and you keep it there in the back of your head. It's just a lesson learned that you know that you can't trust him. You know that he's not, he doesn't belong in this life. As the years are moving on, and not even years, as the months and weeks are going on, I just named probably half a dozen of our friends that are already dead. By the time the next year comes around, I can name another six, seven guys that are, are dead. So Peers. Peers, good friends, and some of these friends of, of mine are guys later on that I kill, or I have killed. You know, I had, like Johnny Gebbett, I have him killed. At one time, he was my friend as a kid. He lived around the corner from me. But you're starting to understand the life, and you're starting to understand the treachery, and you're understanding, just like at war, that this is, you're not playing a game no more. You're not in a schoolyard. You're not gonna punch a guy in the face, and it's gonna end. So you start really understanding, when you can't trust somebody, you don't say it. You don't talk. Only the guys that talk sure. end up dead. So, it, you know, I always use the armed forces. I got a lot of respect for these guys, and I've talked about it on a regular basis, armed forces, because these guys, every day, uh, put on a uniform, whether they see action, no action, they have the possibility of losing their life. So when people sit in their comfortable homes and they don't salute our flag, or they don't get up and respect armed people in armed forces around the world, not just this country, I says I despise them, they're cowards, and I have strong feelings against them because these men, they lost their mothers, fathers, kids, children, and uh, we have no right in no matter what. And I lived a, a rough life on the street and no matter what this country has done to me, as far as prisons, I'll never disrespect the flag or, or the people that fight for our country. So it's very important, and I think that the, the message that some of these uh, people leave out in the street about something they don't understand, is uh, it's important to get the right message out there. John, at that moment when you're, when you're seeing what happened with uh, uh, UN uh, Gotti Jr., uh, was there a moment where the next time you saw him where he couldn't look at you in your eyes, was there anything like that where the tension was felt or no, you acted like everything was okay? Like even a smile like you just made right now, that smile tells 50 stories, right? Yeah. So you know what I'm saying, when you see somebody and there's a smirk or a smile or a squint or an angle of looking at them, is there any of that felt between the two of you or nothing at all? Yeah, I asked him what happened, he gave me an answer, I knew it was bullshit and I didn't question it anymore. I just put it in the bank and said, okay, I know what he's made of now. So I understood at that moment that he'll sell me out any second, any time. And later on he does. <laughs> yeah. so, so, so then this leads me to the next question. Now you're saying in that moment, you're, you have bigger ambitions on what you wanna do, right? You're right. saying, I, I have bigger ambitions. But you're Albanian, right? It's, it, there's, you can't be a made man in a Gambino family and be Albanian. You gotta be Italian, right? I mean, that's one of the things that they had themselves, especially to go be a boss. To be the boss, it's a completely different story. So as much as you're motivated and ambitious to do it, what was your formula on how to get to the top? No, I understood technically, I couldn't be officially made, technically. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, in every other aspect of that street world, I'm considered being made guy. I'm considered being almost a boss on the street. I'm considered by anybody in the mob because you know what runs the, runs the world of the mafia is violence, violence and money. So if you can, I had the qualities that other guys that I was intelligent, so I knew how to make money. I knew how to operate businesses and I was vicious. 
So those qualities make me become another uh, Jimmy Burke, who was uh, Robert De Niro Goodfellas. Who no, I, of course, who yeah. His son was my Goodfellas. So I looked at Jimmy Burke, and I don't see, I don't think there was anybody ever, when he was in jail on the streets, would ever say, "Oh, you're Irish. We're not respecting you as a, a, a gangster or as a mob guy." Or Joe Watts, who was a very personal friend and a, and a known killer in our family and John Gotti Sr.'s main guy, and uh, he was German. So there's guys that I looked at and said, I'm going to be them. And uh, I did become them. The guys testified in, in trials in court that I had my own crew, and it was very unusual for an Albanian and a non-Italian to be able to run their own crews on the street and always challenge. But there's guys and there's groups outside of, you know, you see some of these mob sites, and the guys, they don't even know what they're speaking about. There's, there was, you know, the Westies, an Irish group out of New York, Manhattan. I would laugh if somebody ever typed something to them back in the 80s that they're, they're not uh, respected because they're Irish. And even, we'll talk about these days, the last four hits in, in the American-Italian mafia were done by black guys. So I want to see those same guys telling them, well, we're not going to respect them. People in the street, and this is anybody in the street, whether you're the Hell's Angels, my friend was, he just passed sure. away, uh, was, uh, grew up since we were kids, was president of Hell's Angels. I don't want to see, I, I don't think there's anybody from the street that is really a legitimate tough guy that doesn't understand the street. We understand, understand to respect somebody with intelligence and somebody that is on the street that's, that's tough. So regardless, no one says to you, well, what's your nationality? I'm going to respect you for your nationality. No, no doubt about it. But, but there's a, they're like, you know, Mira, you, 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 you know, Tony Mira, uh, uh, you know, there were certain guys that were known for being earners. There were certain guys for being known for being soldiers, right? There are guys that knew how to go make the money and uh, some of them that knew how to take the hits. One of the things Sammy was known for, and the guy, the reason why he got so much uh, uh, street credit is, and this, is, this comes from everybody I talk to. Whoever I talk to, for whatever reason, they all uh, uh, either respect Sa Sammy and validate what he did, and even the whole story with him and... Gotti, him going and testifying immunity, whatever you want to call it for the 19 counts. They say uh, he ran a legitimate construction company, was making money, and at the same time, when it came down to tune the job, he did it as well. So, but because he was Italian, he could eventually end up being a boss. What was your, you know, end of, you know, my vision is one day John Elite's going to be XYZ. What was your well, vision? I'll, I'll tell you something, because you mentioned Sammy. Sammy Gravano, and this is the first time I mentioned it anyway. Sammy Gravano did an interview, his first one, since he's been home from his 15 years he just did. And his interview is about John A. Light. He does a, an audio interview with uh, a guy named Andy Deliano, who did Perfect Gangster One. Uh, that interview is going to be in Europe shortly. And he discusses uh, what I am and uh, what's a thug, what's a mafioso, what's a gangster. And he says most people this is his words, are uh, either like a Michael Francis, who's a mafia, mafioso, earner, but not a killer. He doesn't put a gun in his hand. He's a very intelligent man. I like him. I respect him. He speaks well. He turns his life around. He's doing the right thing. And then there's guys like Frank Collada, who's a, a thug, gangster, a killer. So there's two types. Mm -hmm. Sammy gave me in that interview, or he said about me, that I'm both. I'm an earner. I'm a thug and uh, I'm a mafioso and I'm an Albanian mafioso that uh, has total respect from the mob world and that uh, 
I'm a professional hitman and I'm the killer and I'm the Gambino's family's hitman and, uh, and unfortunately I was around the wrong guys, the Gotti's. Those are his words, not mine. Those are, those are recorded words from how, how many total people have you done? A, a, how many hits did you do total? I hear different numbers. Yeah, I well, hear 15, you, well, dozens, you know, you 19. Get, here's the thing. You know, you go play baseball, and, I, and I've tried to say this is, you know, so many different times when I'm talking. You will play baseball, and a guy plays one game, and he gets a base hit. He's going to remember that for the rest of his life. It's the only game he played. I did this day in and day out. So when someone said, did you kill Georgie Grasso? I'll give you names. Did he shoot him in the head? Yes, I did. Did somebody say, did you kill Johnny Gebbett? Yes, I did. I ordered him dead. Did you kill Bruce Goddard up? Unfortunately, I'm friends with his family now. Yes, I did. I ordered him dead. Did you shoot Mike Lavigny in the chest in protocols he testified against you 25 years? Yes, I did. Did you shoot Ricky Stratton in the head on the Interborough Parkway? Johnny, did you shoot him? Yes, I did. Did you shoot Paul G. in front of John Gotti Sr.'s house and you didn't care what was in front of his house? Yes, I did. Did you shoot Nicky Pasquale five times on his porch and he loses his leg and he almost died? Yes, I did. Did you stab a guy in front of uh, Vinnie Butch in Fort Lauderdale in the neck and the stomach and he was operated twice and almost died? Yes, I did. Did you shoot Sal Noto's brother-in-law in, uh, bulkhead ball. Yes, I did. I shot his friend outside the bulkhead ball. Yes, I did. I could go on with these names. And if you, I, did I shoot two guys in front of Mondello's for uh, Michael Catapano, we call Catman, still alive? Yes, I did. Witnesses. Did I baseball bat three bikers and by baseball bat uh, Nikki, uh, uh, Kenny Nicole on 78th Street in front of the old brother and by accident? Yes, I did. He's alive. Joey Mathis is dead. I went to protect them. Then I piped three guys and hit them with bottles in front of Princeton Diner in front of Lisa Matriziak. Her best friend's married to Joe Pungentori, a captain in the Philadelphia mob. She was there, still alive. Yes, I did. Did I stab a biker in Forest Hills in the thigh and tell him I'll shoot him in the head to ever come looking for me again after that baseball bat the other three bikers? Yes, I did. Michael Finney testified against it, for it, uh, about what I did. Did I shoot Mike Pip? and two other guys in front of 116th and 101st Avenue. Yes, I did. See, the difference between what I do, and I can go on, we could keep talking. I don't know how many guys I shot. I killed two guys for sure on my property, maybe three. Uh, Danny Morrow, unlike some of the stories that said that never happened, testified and he's on tape. It'll be out in Perfect Gangster too. Dino Finelli helped me get rid of the guns afterwards, seen tons of blood all over. These are regular guys, dumped the guns for me testified also and did a, an interview on tape. Carmine Roan, multimillionaire, legitimate guy, owns Tomatoes Restaurant, testified, I did, he was on the property. Steve Lacretando, insurance man, regular guy, testified, I did. So, you know, when guys are talking out of line or out of school, I hear it all the time. So why is Sammy Gravano, the underboss of a family, talking about me in that, in that way? Why did Ronnie Wanham, captain in the Gambino family, I robbed all his bookmakers, he was a one-time friend of mine. I robbed Jojo Carrazzo, at one time concierge of the family, robbed his bookmakers. Why did anybody get any retaliation against me? I robbed two of them, I put my name in his mouth and I taped it. Uh, Steve Catalano was there, he's still alive. Johnny Burke's in jail, even though I don't like the kid. He was there, he didn't want to come near the guy because the guy was too big. So these guys are alive, I can go on. Why did Ronnie want him, in his own words, in his opening statement, say if I ain't nice to Johnny a -Light, he'll kill me like he killed everybody else. Why did he say in a dozen times get his paperwork in his opening statement? 
It's out all over the internet that I'm John Gotti Jr.'s partner. I'm the partners in the drug business over and over and over again, he repeated it. Why did Stevie Newell, a guy I shot, who I'm personally friends with now, and we had a disagreement that Gotti said they would protect him, I shot him. Did he say on tape, you don't know Johnny Adel, shoot anybody anywhere. And, did, and John Gotti Jr. ratted on him, ratted on me, or became a rat, and he called Stevie a rat, it wasn't true. Why did Stevie Newell say that he sees captains in the Gambino family answer to me? He grew up in our neighborhood. So when guys talk, and I hear these tough guys on the internet, and you got guys like Vito Guzzo, who's doing 30-something years. He's been my enemy for years. Did I have him shot? Yes. Did he kill the guy I had him shot? Yes, he did. Do I like him? No, not particularly. Do I know him since he's five, six years old? Yes. Does he have the right to talk about me? He does, because he was a legitimate gangster, whether I like it or not. And he knows I'm a legitimate gangster. They tried to kill me seven, eight, ten times. I don't know how many times. These guys were America's Most Wanted, Anthony Tabita, Frankie Forradello. These are serious guys, killers. But when you get guys like Big Mouse, there's a kid from my neighborhood, Frankie Jadisi, who's a punk, with a big mouth, never did anything, and they talk like they ever did anything. He never loaded a gun, he's another guy. Only guys that talk like that, you know they're about nothing. But when, at least if they're in the mix, and you know when his friend was getting hurt, or we were collecting money off him, he ran, he hid in front of uh, 106 priests. And these same guys that talk, or they talk about my children, my children ain't gangsters, you got children too. So when they talk out of school, you know they're not about anything. Because guys that run their mouth, they're nothing. The guys at Frito Guzzo, who was a legitimate killer, I didn't particularly like their crimes. I didn't like what a lot of those guys in that crew did. Some of them didn't like it either, what Vito was doing. But you can say to yourself, this guy is a gangster. He can't talk. There's a guy out of Brooklyn that's in the street still. I know him since we are a kid. I won't say his whole name. His name is Danny. He was a killer, tough guy. So he has the legitimate right to talk about the street. But these guys that don't know what they're talking about, because I can run those lists on and on and on of guys I shot, baseball batted. I said I baseball batted over 100 guys and stabbed. Did I do it? Well, people say I didn't. There's a guy, Johnny, that testified for John Gotti Jr. That I baseball batted him by myself. The three guys I just talked about by myself. The Krizanowski brothers, I baseball batted two by myself. The Keegan brothers, I baseball batted one of them by myself. I could go on. That's why I said I made, I'm going to say names this time to shut these people up that don't know what they're talking about or disrespect me because my life's different now. The hard part for me is not to kill these guys that talk. The easy part for me was killing guys and hurting guys. Why was it easy? That's part of my life. It's like putting on a uniform and going to the Army. Whether I, it's a crazy way of thinking. When I signed up for this life, I believed in it. I don't believe in it anymore. <clears throat> There's two things that ruin this life that people don't understand. Structure, right, and fear. There is no more fear because they're, they're asking people outside of the mob to do their killing for them, to do their sh shooting for them. Wait, structure and fear is what made it work, or structure made it and work. fear, what, it's, it's what made, it, made it, work. it work? Why it doesn't work now is because I can name, and I can see how I just named all the guys I shot mm -hmm. and stabbed, and I could have kept going, right? You, you could see I could keep rambling these names. That same guy, the same way I did that, I can name family after family. Joe Messina, acting boss, boss, excuse me, of the Bonanno family, became a rat. John Gotti Jr. became a rat. Al Diarco, Lucchese family, a rat. Philadelphia mob, Ralph Natale, rat. Leonetti, rat. How are you going to have structure when all your bosses are rat? Not only the bosses, I can go down the line at captains. I can go to Mikey Scars, became a cooperator. I won't call him a rat. Co cooperate. He was John Gotti Jr.'s best friend. 
He made statements. I was there when we were setting up juries for Gotti Sr. Why is he making that statement if I'm a nobody? If I'm not this guy everybody says. Why is he saying that Johnny Ailey, we he was there when we were going to hit uh, Curtis Lee when I denied it. I, I said, I'm not hitting a journalist. We got enough guys we can hit and kill. So why am I at weddings? Why am I at Gotti's wedding? Why am I at sisters? So when people talk out of line and they don't have a clue what they're talking, they have no idea the violence that we were living and what I personally did for the Gambino family. In jails, out of jails. John, let me ask you, I'm listening to the way you say it. You're saying it a, a way a baseball player would say, you know, game three, playoffs, round, you know, such and such, I hit the uh, double and it scored a winning run, you know. Uh, game one opener against the Yankees, I hit a, you know, home run and we ended up winning, I went three, four, four. The way you're saying it is just so nonchalant. Is that a part of it where in your world there is, it almost sounds, it's like, a, uh, uh, I don't want to say bragging rights, but it's like, listen, I'm a real soldier. Here's what I really did. Because you lived in that, I feel the uh, competitive spirit that you have. I feel the, the, the spirit of, look, I'm legit. Here's what I did. I was a driven guy. I was committed to the life, and I wanted to come through, and I'm not one of these guys that didn't, that were afraid to be soldiers. I did this part as well. That's, that's, the, that's the way it comes across. Are these things where for you during that part of the world you look at it and you say, I chose to live this life and I'm proud of the job I did. Is that kind of how you're processing it or no? My father, let me go back to my father. My father taught me to be best at whatever I did. So when I played baseball, you have to beat me for me to back away from a guy coming to home plate when I was a little kid and a catcher. There's no way I'm going to step away and side tag him. When I was in the ring, whether win or lose, they put me in a ring one time with a kid that was destroying me. And my trainer wasn't there, and it was, you know, just sparring. Mm -hmm. And I, would, I refused not to go in the ring. And he beat me all over the ring. And then when I got involved with the mob, I believe, here's the thing that why I'm so animate the way I talk and what I say, and is because I believed in the mob more than anybody. I went against my family. I went on the run because I didn't want to give up anybody in the mob. I left all my money, millions. I left my children. I stayed in a Brazilian penitentiary and I was gonna rot there. I was willing to face the death sentence. I lived in every country you could think of. Meanwhile, my enemies and my friends like Gotti Jr. were already cooperating. So what I'm trying to do, and it's so important for me to say, I am the real deal. I am the guy that did this. It's not bragging. And you know, if, maybe sometimes it comes off that way because I'm angry because I go around now. I don't know if you why know what I change because I go around and I teach kids don't follow. That's why I'm angry but because I don't want kids to follow this life. I don't want kids to understand and think that these guys are tough guys because in my book that I'm going to do with Susan Pike, I'm going to come out with the next book. This is uh, Darkest Hour 1. I'm coming out with Darkest Hour 2 and 3. And in Darkest Hour 2 that's coming out in February, I'm going to put a scorecard like we do in sports when somebody gets sure. just what you said, mm -hmm. how many hits or how many tackles. I'm going to go through how many of these guys never touched a gun in their life. Never did a, a killing, Pete Gotti, say. Never touched a gun. He didn't kill anybody. It's easy for, to ask this kid to do the killing from. It was easy to ask me to do the killing and the shooting, and then when it's finished and all the trouble starts, say he was nobody. Because they're going to do it to the next kid. That's why I'm so... Who was saying you were nobody? Whoever says it. I'm saying so it doesn't matter who's saying it. What I'm trying to teach these kids is don't follow this life. I'm here to tell you, I lived this life. I was right. the guy that was in this life making a ton of money. 
This is a dead-end way to live. So it's very important to be very strong about the way I'm talking and what I've done. And it's very important to let these kids know, listen, do not follow this. This is a one-way street to nowhere. And, and It's very tough to live that life today, though. You know, to, to, to have the mob life today, it's very tough to live the life today. Well, it's not, not, not really. as it was in the 80s. No, it's not as in the 80s because they're not killing. And they're not shooting and they're not baseball batting Cyber guys because, security. well, this is There's why I was talking hacking. about structure and fear. Right. But you have guys all over the street selling powder and pills and they think they're gangsters. They put on a suit and tie, they put on a cigar, right. they, they put a cigar in their mouth and they think they're gangsters. And they're teaching these kids they can still do this and you can have a future. But there is no future in this life. There is no future in selling drugs. There's no future in selling, uh, killing or hurting. It's, this is why I said it's very easy to kill and hurt. But what's, the what's, hard part is not to. John, what's your falling out? What caused the falling I've read many different things, and I've read both sides of the story, you know, and I called around just to kind of see what they're going to tell me. People that don't believe a single word that comes out of your mouth, people that say, this guy's legit. And I've called names that you know, some of the names you've mentioned, just yeah. to kind of uh, give that, but they've asked me to not disclose the names for obvious reasons. It's like if I were to call you and say, hey, what do you think about this? This is who I'm sitting with here. What's the case with this guy? What, what caused the falling out with you, John, and Senior? What, what caused the falling out while you're coming up? Well, it's, it's very simple. I mean, anybody with an education, can decipher what I'm saying and check, right? Because I'm making statements with names. I'm making statements of names. Sure. guys. Okay. Here's the falling out. Frankie DeChico was killed. Did you see anybody get killed after Frankie got blown up? No. Eddie Lino was killed by the Lucchese family, by the road cops at Belito. See anybody retaliate that? No. Bobby Borrello was killed in front of his house. See anybody retaliate that? No. Joey Scopo that was put in position to be an acting boss of the Colombo family by Gotti when he was murdered in front of his house. Any retaliation? No. My good friend, Greg Ryder, was chopped up and left somewhere. Nobody ever found his body. While his father did life, didn't give up, Gotti Sr. could have never spent one day, Mark Ryder, in prison and nobody did anything about it. And in my belief, they ordered it. They okayed it. They didn't order the murder of Greg Ryder, but they okayed it. And I could go on with that list. Little Anthony Mancuso was killed over a, a dispute in, in uh, I'm trying to think of bedrocks, with the owner. Did anybody kill the guy that killed him? Regardless if the guy was wrong or right. Our laws, you can't put your hand on a made guy. He killed him. God, he didn't do anything about it. Nobody did anything about it. Why not? So we believe in nothing. We believe in money. And these kids think that this loyalty, I just named every boss that's ratting. I just named Sammy Gavano. Let's put somebody in his shoes. He was quiet. He never got caught on tapes. He didn't brag. He didn't talk about murders that we committed in the past. That it's, it's our law. If you do bring it up, you're killed for it. He didn't go against his boss. He was a big money maker. He was a family man. He didn't run around like a lot of us did with women. He was a perfect gangster. That guy was a perfect gangster. And he was quiet. Now he's known to be a rat, right? That's what the, the journalists around the world projected him as. That's what the gangsters did. But who's really the rat? This guy did everything from Gotti gave him up every which way. And he didn't get a chance to kill Gotti. Maybe if he got a chance to, he would have never spoke. But instead he was in handcuffs, gonna do 10 life sentences because of Gotti's big mouth, because he betrayed Sammy Gravano. Sammy didn't betray anybody. Wait, wait, did you just say if Sammy had the chance to kill Gotti, he yeah, would have? Of course. He would have? 100%. Do you think Sammy 
was a threat to Gotti because the street saw Sammy more as the power guy than Gotti because Sammy was getting all the context and relay like he could eventually be a boss or not no, at all? No, because Sammy didn't have an ego. He had no aspirations to take over. He didn't care that John wanted Sammy to be a boss. Sammy didn't front. want to be a boss. No, Sammy had no... Was that known? Yeah, it was known because Sammy didn't have the ego. Sammy stood back. Sammy only cared about making money, staying with his family. How much time did you spend with Sammy? Over the years, I was, he was always around, like I was around. I, you know, you're watching. But were you buddies? Were you friends? No, I wasn't buddies with oh, okay. him at all. I was loyal to the Gottis. So for me to say this, I was a Gotti loyalist. I wasn't a Sammy Gravano loyalist. But you know, if you're going to speak about the mob and honesty in history, history needs to be correct, right? It can't be somebody that's in love with the the romance of the Gotti story. I mean, you said something about the Gottis, which is which is quite interesting. You said. Anything that preserves Gotti Jr.'s image is glorifying the mob. If you're glorifying the mob, you're killing kids, you're teaching kids to respect the coward. You're, you're calling John Gotti Jr. and Sr. a coward. Is that, is that what you're saying? Like they were cowards? Listen, I'm calling all of them cowards the Gottis. I'm calling Jeannie Gotti a coward. He was in jail with me. He was my cellmate. I slapped him around in jail. I didn't slap him around and just talk. Yeah. Teddy Persico was there, Carmine Persico's brother. Mikey Spinelli, a known killer, was there. Patty Delarousse, all made guys. They were all there. Let somebody ask them, did I do it? Did I have Louis Andino from GQ, we used to call him? Rob Genie Gotti, did I have James Perry slap him, throw a chair at him? Did I have Mark Giuliani do it? Did we beat up and hurt Ali Calabrese in jail? You see him in The Irishman, they talk about he's a gangster's gangster, nobody did nothing about it. Why not? These guys were all there with me. Everybody knows the story. So when people say, when they talk, when they don't have knowledge of what they're speaking about, but I'm speaking from facts. And I ask people, look it up. Pete Gotti never used a gun. Never. John Gotti Sr. never killed anybody with his own hand. John he, Gotti Sr. never, never killed anybody? Never with his own hand. It's easy to ask somebody else to do it. Here, I'll give you a gun until you kill him. Zero. He's never Zero. killed Zero. How would you know that, though? I know everything about him. Where's, he's dead. Where's everybody but that that's, ever, that's the part somebody may say. He doesn't have, you're going after a guy that's dead. He can't defend himself. Well, his son can, right? He's dead. Let him come out. There's FBI alive. Let, there's so many rats out there. Joe Messina's a rat, knows him his whole life, right? Why isn't he talking about it? Al Diarco, why is he talking about it? There's a million guys out there that hung around. All the guys that cooperated around the Gambino family, nobody put a gun in Gotti's hand ever. I was friendly with Willie Boy Johnson before he cooperated, while he was cooperating. We all were. And when he spouted off, or Angelo Ruggiero spouted off, they all said the same thing. But I'm, not, I'm talking about facts because you have FBI information. You have guys that ratted. You have guys that stayed with him. You have, you, you have Carmen Ignello, never used a gun. His brother-in-law, he ran to Cleveland. He had a 16-count indictment. They closed the courtroom. What did he do to get out of it? He got guns in his house. I mean, these are facts. These aren't, you know, so when kids are looking up at these guys, I'm telling them, don't you open your eyes, because I never opened my eyes until now. And now that I have a voice, I can save kids' lives. But, but why, why is the story being told otherwise? Why, why, is, uh, why is the story being told? Because isn't one of the criteria of being a made man, you have to kill somebody? Isn't that one of the criteria, no, or it's not? No, not So you can be a made man and a boss, and you've never killed anybody? Correct. Okay, the second thing. Isn't one of the codes of being a mobster, you can never talk to a government official, FBI, you can never do that. 100%. Never so do that. So Gotti Jr. sitting with the FBI making 302s while I'm sitting in Brazil penitentiary? And he could give me 20 life sentences. So tell me who betrayed who. I'm in a jail. I'm in a dungeon. 
I'm getting beat up. Now, he's up. saying he didn't say anything and nobody Wait. got arrested afterwards. That's what he says, that nothing happened. That's what he, I'm repeating I, what I, he said. You know, you I, know it yourself. Okay. You find me one gangster, because he can tell that to the public, because they right. don't know anybody. We know our laws. He sat with them. He gave information against us. He was an informant, just like Willie Boy Johnson. And we all, cop, please. Joe Watts had a cop to a murder. Danny Marino had a cop to a murder because of John's testimony. And he refused to get on the stand against him. He only wanted to feed information. That's the truth of it. He was locked up for a silver fox. He stabbed a kid from behind his children. It's an open murder. He can never get locked up for it. Why not? Kevin Bonner testified against all of us. Great witness. His girlfriend, great witness. They were all there. There was how many testimonies that they said they seen him stab it? And he admitted, and to me too, he admitted he did it. He stabbed him and he killed him. So why isn't he getting arrested for that murder? What, what, ask law enforcement. Get an explanation. But I have his 302s. We put it in the book. Documents of what he was saying. People he was giving up. Politicians he was giving up. Other guys he was giving up. He gave up his friends. He put other friends at a murder investigation that's still open, that can, is never closed. And he put them all at that location. So for him to say to the media, first off, he did say he did rat, actually, on video. He said he ratted. Then he said he only ratted a little. Then he said he only ratted against his enemies. And then he went back and said, I was just trying to trick the FBI. It, it's, 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 it's not even a conversation to have. He ratted. It's stupid. He sat with the government. He made a deal. He backed up on the deal five different times. But that's really not, the, the issue is not what he just did at that time of ratting. The issue is one after another, these guys aren't using guns. One after another, these guys' bosses, and not just the Gotti's, bosses around each family are ratting. And they're trying to take guys like me to do the killing, to do the shooting, to do the beating, and say he's nobody, and then use those kids to get life sentences for them. And these guys walk away, and they they make deals on the side like Gotti did. John, like how many Carmen years did Ignella you do? Did. How many? How much time I, did you do? I I went away. The, the, somebody put in it six years for this, three years for this. It's not true. I went away for three and a half years for a gun. I went away in Brazil for two and a half years. I came home. I did ten years here for this case. I went in and out of jail for an assault in ninety ninety one. I went back in two thousand and one. I went out again in two thousand two. Back in jail. So when these guys talk. They How much total time? Total time, about 18 years in and out. How come it's 18 years if you've killed so many people? Why are you not doing Be life? Because I'm the first guy to say, when Gotti ratted, they came, when I came back to the United States, and whatever happened Is with Is this him, when Brazil extradited you? Extradited and were, me yeah. back, and I got the paperwork of Gotti ratting. When I was in Brazil, they flew to me. They showed it to you? They showed it. The consulate of the family, Joseph Carrazzo, his son, Joe Carrazzo, was a lawyer defending Ronnie Trucchio at the uh, trial in Tampa. I was absentee. Ronnie won on his opening statement, was giving Junior up because Junior was ratting. He gave me up on the drug end because I gave him permission to give me up. But I didn't give him permission to give me up on murders. And he started giving me up on murders. But that information, the whole family knows he's a rat. He's been shelved, he's been chased. Did people want to kill him? Of course they wanted to kill him. Will they kill him? Who know? They don't know what information he gave. Will they kill who? Junior? Junior. Because people ask, today? why is he alive? Today? Today, always. He, he's always going to have something Who's going to kill head. him today? Well, you, listen, it's Persico like Persico died, Cali died. I mean, it's, it's calm well, down. Well, Cali's not a killer, but no. I, and unfortunately he died because I really thought he was, a, he was a decent guy. That's what a lot of people tell me. Yeah. They say he's a really decent guy. Yeah. I, think, I, I think the whole they Gambino faction... They thought he was faction, trying to turn it around. And well, you, I, I, I speak openly, honestly. The yeah. Gambino faction are gentlemen. They're quiet. They don't bother nobody. What they do for a living, I can't judge them. All I'm judging is... 
when guys are telling guys put a pistol in your hair and, and tell a kid to kill, I'm telling the kids don't go into the life. I'm not telling an adult don't stay in that life. I'm not. How are you alive? So you've killed all these guys. I mean, it's not a short list of people. If you've hit a, a baseball bat 100 people, you know, if you do something to my family and I'm in that world, I don't know how long, you know, so how come nobody has retaliated to you? If you have this many uh, numbers of hits, how come you're still around? You're a public figure. You're living in New York. It's not like you're because, living in Montana. Listen, because I'm not P. Gotti. People know I'm vicious. And if you come after me and you don't kill me, they know that I'm going to probably do something. Well, I understand, but that's a, that's a pretty quick fix, though, right? If somebody says, so just make sure he doesn't live. Well, so why are well, you who's alive? Well, who's going to kill me? P. Gotti? No. He's, I mean, if he was out, he's in jail. No. Who? Jackie knows? He never used a gun either. Who? Mikey Scars? No, he never used a gun. Commenting? No, he never used a gun. Right. you got to go find somebody who used a I'm gun I'm not personal. asking this to try to create an event. I'm asking this question to... But uh, it, uh, if I was worried about that, honestly, I wouldn't live in New York. You wouldn't live in New York. No, I think I, 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 I give you a lot of credit for that because... Uh, and not that others who go and live in another place, it's, you know, it's to, to each his own, but... You decide to stay in a place like that. You know, one of, the, one of the things I was thinking about when I was looking at this, I got a couple of the questions we'll go through here. But one of the things I was thinking about when I was looking at this is sometimes um, the, 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 the person to be the most careful with, and I, and I want to preface it in a way, and you can come back and answer it in any way you want. I, I just want to hear your thoughts on this. Sometimes... Um, Say there's a kid who, you know, he's got a brother, and the brother's born in America, and he's not born in America, but this kid's more driven to be a president, and this family, the father is pressuring them to be a president one day, and this brother knows no matter what he does, he can't ever become a president, even though he wants to become a president more than he wants to become a president, but he can because he was born here, this guy wasn't. Okay. It's a law. You can't do nothing right. about it, right? Okay. And sometimes this guy on this side, who maybe have more qualities to be a president that his father wants him to be. They want to make father proud, right? Hey, I want to be the guy that become, comes through and leaves a legacy for your last name, Pops. You came here from another country, I'm gonna do my part, Germany, whatever you want to talk about. In the book, 40 Laws of Power, I don't know if you've read the book, 40 yeah, Laws of Power, Robert Greene. Well, Law number one, never outshine the master, right? Do you think there was a little bit of that spirit felt about you or no? That wasn't at all. Because did they kind of get a feeling of tension to say, this guy's a little too ambitious? You know, and was that kind of your frustration to say, you know, if I can't go out there and, you know, uh, uh, get all the way to the top, screw it. I'm going to go out there and throw everybody under the bus. How much of it was that? And again, if you completely disagree, I'd love to hear your no, views on this. Here's the thing. You know what I'm saying yes, with this I, part, I, right? You got to understand, in any aspect of life, envious people and jealous people are dangerous people, right? So when they see that I was successful, they see I was making money, they see I was dangerous, they see that I had a, a big crew of people. More than Gotti's? Gotti's didn't have it. John Gotti Jr., if you can find me a killer that was around him, besides Bobby Borriello, because Bobby was killed, but he, Bobby wasn't a kid that could go on the street in baseball. John, you're people. saying you were bigger than Gotti Sr. and Jr.? No, 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 I'm not saying that. Sr. had a ton of guys. Jr. didn't have guys. Junior had not a shooter around him. But are you senior making more had, money than a senior? No, no. Okay. No, of course. So, not. so what? I'm, what? I, the question I'm asking is: Was there a level of envy from you towards them? No, not a, listen. Senior. All I use the only the respect level is this: As you're getting older, you're intelligent. Unless you're a, a dummy and you just follow blindly. Sure, yeah. But you start seeing. I was betrayed by them. So yeah, there is. I was loyal to the mob. They betrayed me. 
there's no way you could turn around the fact that John Gotti Jr. met with the government in 2003 or four, and then he signed papers a year later, 2005. He can't change that. That's a fact. That's when he was in, and that's when I was in the penitentiaries in Brazil. You can't correlate. He can't. Tr he can try till he's dead. You can't correlate whatever I did for what you did. You did this five years earlier. So I don't know how he's even trying to correlate whatever he did, his actions. The rest of the mob knows he's a rat. Okay, now did I come in after that? Yes. Did Ronnie Warnham cooperate? No. But did he give a statement, said he was afraid I'd kill him like everybody mm -hmm. else? Of course he did. What kind of statement is that? So that's okay? Or the guy that comes in, and he's not the only guy. Mikey Scars cooperated, Captain. And I'll go, I just said, I went through a list. I can go through sure. more. So why am I loyal to a life of Italians when I'm Albanian, and they're not loyal to their own life? So this is, and they're giving me up at the same time. And all my guys are giving me up. And other guys, are, who am I being loyal to? Because they're not being loyal to themselves. So what do I owe them? They owe me nothing when I left my family. They owed me nothing when I stood in those penitentiaries and it wouldn't rat on my enemies. I wouldn't rat on anybody. I left everything to, to, to be true to that life that I believed in. But one after another, made guy after a made guy, are giving me up and giving information against other made guys. And bosses, I'm not just talking about just underlings or made guys. I'm talking about who's, who's gonna deny the fact that these guys are ratting like crazy. Was it public when you retired in 99 or no? Like, did you tell them I'm retired? Because you've said you retired in 99. 99. 90, uh, uh, in 99 that you retired in, or? In 99, I got out of jail, 2000. Right. In 2000, I don't know if I said I'd retired or didn't retire, I was still in the mob. You so, were still in the mob? Yeah. So I in did. 2001, when you, was there a recording you heard with you and your uncle where they said, you know, he's, he's not a made man, he's a skipper, something like that? Is there, is, is there something with that recording you heard with your uncle or no? There was a recording, you're talking about Stevie Newell's incident. Yes. And I, there, there was a meeting with John Gotti Jr., Stevie Newell, uh, John Gotti Jr., excuse me, stayed across the street, was sending messages back and forth to Carmen Agnello. Pete Gotti was involved. Mm -hmm. They're talking about hitting me. I shot Stevie Newell, the guy they're supposed to be protecting, and they asked Stevie Newell, can you kill Johnny A. Light? It's, it's a joke. You're asking the guy I just shot that you're supposed to be protecting to kill me? Why didn't you kill me? You just said you're going to protect this guy, and I told you, go fuck yourself, and I shot him. How did you hear about that they wanted to uh, put a I didn't hear him? about that. I said that to him because the FBI came to my house and said there was a death threat on you, and we have to report it. So instead, they said, are you going to tell them? And this was in uh, about 94. But they said, are you going to tell the guys? I said, yeah, I am. And I went, and I, and I switched the story to them. And I said, I heard a recording. You guys were going to kill me. So at that same story, I says, well, I just robbed Joel Cain that you're supposed to be protecting, and I stabbed him a second time. You just did nothing. I took Richie Gotti, Sr.'s brother's son-in-law. I beat him to death on the street. He lived because the guy, the skipper from the Banano family, saved his life. The same guy that's bringing him to me, set him up for me, brought him to the hospital, Ronnie Gialenzo. They did nothing. I shot my cousin. There was, Gotti said, don't pay the cop for payoff fee. He did nothing. I robbed two book, bookmakers around them. They did nothing. I beat his uncle up in jail. They did nothing. I beat up Ali Calabrese in prison with other guys. And these were, they did nothing. They don't do nothing, but then they went and ratted on me. So you had your chance to kill me over and over again. How many things can I do to you? I says, but when they changed that story, so when, when Charles came to me, and we can go on story after story, and if you're so loyal to Gotti, 
right? Why is he robbing Papa Vera funeral home with me? Charles Kinnick. Why are you robbing it with me? In 2000 and whatever year we did it, one, two, three, something like that. We robbed the funeral home of John Gotti's main guy. He was buried there, he had his funeral there. I didn't give a shit. He was alive, actually we robbed it in 94, excuse me. Gotti just went to jail. So if I'm this guy that don't care about anything, and why is a made guy running around with me robbing things? If he doesn't answer to me, if he doesn't respect me, if he's th they don't think I'm nothing, why are you robbing? Why you have no respect for the God he's doing that with me? Why are you helping me, giving me guns to shoot my cousin that's around Ross from the Genovese family and he's running a bread union with him? Why, why are you coming and giving me a machine gun and a nine millimeter to kill John Gotti Jr., Pete Gotti, and commenting Nello? And if that's not true, get the guys that testified against me. One of them is my cousin and knows about it. And well, Cubo, uh, Cubanelli, has, I put the guns in his safe. He's a tattoo guy in the neighborhood. He's still around. If it ain't true, well, Andrew DiDonato that wrote a book about it said Nicky Carrazzo told him, yeah, that, but he didn't mention that he didn't know it was me that was gonna do it. And I wouldn't give the guns back. So why, why are they so afraid of me if I'm this junky nobody, right? So this is the, the, the point is I went, ran through these guys and they never did anything. And my message is still the same. That's the past. I'm a different guy now. If I wasn't, I would be retaliating against guys when they talk so much, the way I used to. Now, I send the message. My life has changed. I'm the same guy. I mean, don't get me wrong. If somebody tries to hurt me, I'm gonna protect myself. But my message is to kids. Day and night is gonna be to kids to stay away from this life. When did you cooperate? Was it 05 when you cooperated? No, I cooperated when I came back uh, about 07. 07 is when it was you five, It was uh, 07, yeah, it was uh, 07 towards 08. Article maybe. say 2005. No, no, 06, was it 07? I'm in Brazil Penitentiary. Okay. Got so it cooperated 2004 and five. Four, 2004 and five, I come yeah. back like three or four years later and I sign officially about five years later. What's the story with when you went to court to testify, this one, uh, uh, one of the jury members, Paul uh, Paragine, Paragine, however you want to pronounce, I want to hear your views from yeah. this. Almost the entire jury didn't believe the star witness yourself. He wasn't credible at all. What, what is this all about? It's written about in different places. Well, first of all, this guy, you know, we use terminology as a mob hump. So he's a mob Paulus. hump. Yeah, why would you go out to dinner with Gotti after the trial? Why'd you go socialize with him for? That's first off. Second, I can't control what other witnesses stay on, say on the stand. You know, if somebody says something different, that they even hang around us. Like Peter Sicara, he's, you know, he's a big mouth. He worked with me, he stayed with me. He was gonna set up the murder of, of, of Pete Gotti, Junior Gotti and Carmine Agnello. But his brother was, is dead, his brother's a tough guy. These guys used to come visit me in prison or whatever. So when he says something at that, on the stand, I can't control what he says. I, he never came to our clubs. Actually, Johnny King sent me to hurt him too when he first came home. And uh, what's his name, Prevet was there. Dave Prevet owns a junkyard by Shea Stadium, the old Shea Stadium. He was there when I went for him. So when these guys are talking, I can't change. But here's one of the reasons why this jury didn't believe me. Because there's guys, witness after witness, saying I'm too dangerous. On all the trials, get the paperwork, that this guy can't control me. Partially, they are right. He can't control me on everything, but I do work for the Gambino family. So th their view is I'm lying because no one's controlling me because Joel Kane got on the stand saying one thing. Uh, Johnny, another kid, gets on the stand saying, God, he never did anything, A-Light's crazy, he baseball bad me. Stevie Newell's getting on the stand saying, Johnny A-Light shot me. 
Ronnie, one, I'm saying I'm scared Johnny A. Light's going to kill me. I'm a captain of Gambino family. So what is the jury going to say? They say this guy's a maniac, out of control. Since I came home, the Gotti family, this is a fact, the Gotti family wrote my parole, the whole family, wrote, I don't know how many letters to my parole, wrote to my parole's boss, wrote to my judge, 2013, 14. Yeah. Gotti had his right to write them and say I'm a killer and I'm gonna kill somebody in the Gotti family, they need to lock me up. You're gonna kill somebody in the yeah. Gotti family? Ed, I'm gonna kill the brother or somebody in their family, they need to lock me up, I violated my parole, every gangster around the streets, active and not active, still in touch with me, I'm in the drug business, I'm still in the construction business, and I'm a nobody, but everybody from every crew is getting in touch with me. So, what are these letters? And Gotti himself and his lawyers wrote a letter into the judge saying that he feared for his life. And his sister wrote a letter in 1992, he doesn't have the stomach for the mob world. So, but my thing with the Gottis is it's not about the Gottis, it's about the Gambino family. The thing about correlating John Gotti Jr. becoming a rat in 2004, 2005, has completely nothing to do with me while I'm in a penitentiary in Brazil. I'm just curious how they keep trying to correlate him ratting and me coming in after the fact, for three, four, five years later. The correlation doesn't even make a little sense. Who's behind the website? Who's behind the website? John Gotti Jr. How certain are you of that? 100%. The guy Chris Casparosa said he works for John Gotti Jr. The guy who runs the website? Says he works for John Gotti Jr. This is very similar to what the Scientology Church does. I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. No, go, it's okay. Go, go on ahead. my Google, read my Wikipedia. He controls it. He locked it. He changed the, the, the writing of what was on Wikipedia. Who did? John Gotti Jr. with Chris Gasparosa. You the last can't even rewrite on it if you want. When's the last time you were in contact with John Gotti Jr.? I was in Long Island at a diner when I first came home. 13. Uh, 13. I had a meeting there with a couple of guys, and six police cars came. And uh, they informed me that Gotti called up and said that he'd fear that I was gonna kill him, that he lives around a corner somewhere. I don't know if that's true or not. Did you see him or no? No, I didn't see him. And then the letters started coming into my parole that I left my area, and I've been in different areas in New York, and I'm not allowed to leave New Jersey, Philadelphia area. So the, the, the thing that is, is mind-boggling to me is the way he won't let this go. I even gave up social media years ago because I'm not gonna play these kid games with him forever. You know, so, but the, the, the answer is still back to the same thing. How are you correlating if you became a rat? Anything to do with me? Would you like to face off with them? Not, not fight, face off and have a conversation with them. Would you want to sit down? I'll sit here tomorrow with you. If you get him on the air, we're going to talk to him about, we'll start with his father so we don't have to talk about him. We'll talk about his father. I want to know who, when did he ever use a gun. I want to know when a gun was in his hand besides that fantasy story he told in his book that his father left Greenhaven or one of the prisons and his two marshals with him. They went to a dentist office. He went out the back door. So he had about 30 people that were witnesses that he was brought to a dentist. He went out the door and he did a murder. That's the best he could come to a murder for his father. It's the, the kid's got to know. The kid's got to know. Was his father, now let me straighten something out. Was his father a gangster? 100%. Was he from the street? 100%. Did he have a lot of guys killed? 100%. Was he a big earner? No. Was he a degenerate gambler? Yes. Was he a tough guy? Yeah, he was a street guy. He was, a was he a killer with his own hand? No. Did he have killers around him? Yes. He had a ton of killers around him. Bobby Borrello was one of them. Johnny Cornelia was one of them. Eddie Lino was one of them. Joe Watts was a big one. Sammy? 
Sammy, without a doubt, these are guys. Who was the most loyal. feared out of all of those guys? Sammy and Joe Watts, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Johnny was tough for him too, but without a doubt. At the peak when you were on Sammy, what was the different energy you felt from Sammy than you felt about the senior? Senior, even as a kid, senior wanted to intimidate you, right? So I grew fear. up in the street. He wanted to fear, you know, you know, and as a kid, I was intimidated. I would be a lie to say I was. Sure. You know, I, I was intimidated. I was impressed by him. But then as you're growing and you, you understand the world is like going to kindergarten, you, you work your way up to college. When I looked at Sammy, you seen complete confidence. He walked with confidence. He didn't try to stay you down. He said hello. He didn't try to intimidate you. Hey, kid. And even to today, if you ask him when he met me, he doesn't know. And of course he doesn't know because I was a kid. He met me at the clubs, he said. He said hello. But he doesn't specifically remember conversations because I'm a nobody. I'm a kid growing up. And he's, you know, he's on the boss. So why would he pay attention? It's like guys that say they know me and I don't remember them because I'm in a different level. You're not gonna remember these guys, but he was always a gentleman. And as time went on, yes, he seen me more and he said hello more. But if you ask him specifically, what did we talk about? He won't remember, but I remember because to me it was a big deal, just like it was a big deal talking to Gotti Senior. But then you learn and you decipher, hey, is this guy a good leader? When you start watching people that are good leaders through history, whether it's in law enforcement, like we talk about Rudy Giuliani, right? Highly intelligent guy, good leader. He, he decimated the, the mafia, but he made a statement. I did an interview down in Albania about the five families, and the interviewer, a uh, very famous guy down there in the Balkans, uh, Blendy, said that Gotti Sr. had a gun on him, and I left. I says, you're wrong. And he says, well, that's what Rudy Giuliani did. I says, all due respect to Rudy Giuliani, and I have a lot of respect for him, is uh, he wasn't in the car, but Sammy Gravano was, and there was no gun in Gotti's lap or hand or jacket. He had no intention to get out of that car, no matter what. He was just gonna send Sammy out. Sammy had the gun. So it depends on where this information's coming from. Phil Baroni, right, and I'm gonna slide back for a second, was one of the guys who was an ex-detective that testified in Gotti's trials, and he, and this is the reason maybe I had a problem with some of these juries. And he said he didn't know when we were going to kill Georgie Grasso. This is the detective that lived up the block from me. This is a detective that when I moved to Cherry Hill, New Jersey, two hours away, he moved next door to me. This is the detective that went to Mexico with me. He's my bookmaking partner with me. He's selling drugs with me. He's doing armed robberies with me. But he didn't know I was going to shoot this guy in the head. Who the fuck is going to believe that? Who's stupid enough to believe that? So if a jury thinks because he's saying he didn't know, and Peter Sicara, the other guy, saying I, he met me in the McDonald's somewhere, and I said, I don't even know where there's a McDonald's. We met in Burger King for a different occasion. Whatever stories these guys are telling, the only difference between my stories and them and is mine's are truth, and I don't say I didn't kill these guys. I don't say I didn't shoot these guys. I don't say I ain't involved in baseball batting these guys. But when these guys want to insult somebody and say, you're only on vacation with me, Phil Baroni couldn't get further up my ass. You're a detective that ran around with that badge with me and we did everything together for 20-something years. You were giving us information when Jeannie Gotti and Johnny Koenig had a problem. You were giving information that uh, John Gotti Sr. and Sammy were going to get pinched when they got pinched in 90. Where was that information come from? It was coming from Phil Baroni. Where did he get it from? So when these guys are talking or Morgan Dyer's driver, the district attorney's driver, Jimmy, I'm in his house. 
Why am I able to describe your whole house if you're not involved with me? What the fuck was I doing in your house? These are, the, you know, did his lawyers do a good job? Yeah, his lawyers did a good job. He had a lawyer, John uh, Mariglio, who's a fantastic attorney. Every time he walked in, I said, oh, this guy again. Not because you're lying, because you know they're going to pick you apart. They're intelligent. So when you're understanding we can't have these conversations, of course they're going to pick you apart. They're, they're, they're going and they're getting paperwork. And I'll give you an example. I had tons of paperwork from Brazil extradition, and I was fighting my case. Marco, this guy, I sent him 750000 He stole it. He denied it. A buddy of mine put all the documents with the money transfers to Brazil, and they showed he stole the money. Gotti was friends with him. Gotti had him do a video. But Gotti doesn't tell everybody, this guy, when I was locked up facing life in the death sentence, took all my paperwork and sent it back to the United States government to give me a life sentence on Gotti's behalf. So when I'm on the stand, they said, they got all my papers. Did you say this? Yes. Is this part true? No. Is that part true? No. Is that part true? No, I'm lying. Because back then I wasn't cooperating. So I said, that's when I was a gangster. This is how I was going to beat my cases. Yeah, I did order a murder from Brazil. Where are you going to kill this guy from Brazil? It's all in the street. But I'm trying to say, yeah, you could take that paperwork. Some of it's real, some of it's fake. I'm trying to save my life. Now I'm on the stand testifying against a guy who I called Whitey Bulger. You gave me up. Would you think, was I a fool? I was gonna say I'm gonna go to jail and do 10 life sentences for a guy that had my best friend from college, Timmy Donovan, testify against me, because you said to? So he did, and he testified for you. When you have the Accardi brothers, the, the famous Traficani family, John and Jason and the father testified against me because Gotti said they could? Or you have Robert Lamadola testify against me because Gotti said he could? Or Joe Kane give fake information on the stand because he said so, or Johnny, the car thief that I baseball batted because Gotti said so? I could go through some more names that he told everybody to testify against me. They couldn't kill me, so this was the way they were going to kill me. He was rat on me. So when I came back and I got all the paperwork and I found out everybody's testifying against and giving me up, then, yes, I did come in. And I never hid the fact. I'm not like everybody else. I said, they betrayed me. I didn't betray anybody. So when I came in, it was years after John was in. It was years after Mikey Scars was in. It was years in, uh, Captain. It was years in if, if Fat Dom was giving people up. It was a made guy. These are all Gotti's guys. They're all talking. I'm not talking. Mm. I left my family. I left my money. I went penniless. I lived in Cuba. I lived in Colombia. I lived in Africa. Not to rat. So when these guys switching this, dates can't lie. Paperwork can't lie. The only difference is I've always been a man. I stand on my two feet. So when I came in, I come in and I don't hide the fact. He's betrayed me. I owe you nothing. It's interesting listening to these stories. You know, for me, um, I, I've uh, interviewed a few CIA agents. One of the ones we interviewed, she was the chief disguise officer of the U.S. government. So she would disguise faces and she went to Bush one time. She disguised the face Bush couldn't recognize and she took the mask off saying how great of a disguise this was. She married another CIA agent because they met each other in the business. I said, let me ask you a question. H how, do you, how do you believe each other? She says, uh, it's a very good question. I said, because both of you are trained to lie for good reason, right? Because you lie to protect your country. So if you sit down with a Russian operative, you're not going to tell every story. You're going to lie as much as you can, right? So, so how does one, when, when sitting and you hear all these stories, 
um, somebody who's not in the world, you're just listening to the stories, you hear so many different sides and everybody sounds convincing. Well, you have to take, like I just said, you have to take Ronnie Wanon's opening statement. Why did he say that? Why do you say he fears I'm going to kill him? You're a captain. Why would the guy I shoot say he's seen yeah. guys from the Gambino family skip his answer to me? Why would you have the underboss of the Gambino family say he was our hitman for the Gambino family, specifically for the Gottis? He was their strong Why would you have Mikey Scar's skipper, John Gotti Jr.'s best friend, mm -hmm. right-hand man, say I'm there during these conversations? Why would I be in Gotti's wedding? Why am I on a list giving him 5,000 at the Helmsley Palace when there's only a handful of gangsters around the world there? Why am I in his sister's wedding? I mean, this is very simple. It's not my word. Why am I saying he's a rat? I have the paperwork. I come in years later after they already fucked me. So this is not, this is step, it's not my, my word. This is step by step. When I was on the stand, I couldn't show pictures of Phil Baroni because they were in my house, the detective that claimed all this nonsense. So explain to me, is it, what do you think the odds are? A billion to one, five billion to one that this detective's selling drugs with me, robbing with me, bookmaking with me, moves next door to me in Cherry Hill? All the real estate in the world, you came to Cherry Hill to sit next to me? What are you doing at my house every day? How many pictures do you want? Because after this, we, I could give you pictures. What is Carmine Agnello, right? Never shot a gun in his life. 16 count indictment disappears in the courtroom closes. Do we have to be geniuses to understand what he did? So, you know, I'm not asking anybody to believe what I'm saying. Just look at the facts. Why are these guys talking like yeah. this? It, who do you trust today? Do, do, are you easy to trust people today or after a life like this? I mean, you're, you're 57 years old. How do you trust anybody today? You know, do you see people and you say, I think you're 56 to be exact. 56. September 30th is your birthday. Yes. So who do you trust yourself today? Listen, you know. You've lived, in, like you said, treacherous life. So who do you trust? Very simple. Guys like you. Legitimate guys that have no agendas that are respectful purely agenda and got it friends like my friends is friends of mine that i grew up since we were kids that are attorneys court stenographers with five years old and my friend my friend michael jacobs i know him since he's five years old mm. these guys have no agendas but friendship they're not weasels with money they're not calling somebody trying to set me up from behind my yeah. back they're not guys that are dying to make their name themselves off me and you got guys that i'll call up and i'll give you an example a guy calls me out of nowhere, fake number, and he tells me he's part of a crew. Albanians. I don't talk against Albanians. I try not to kill Albanians or hurt Albanians in my life. And he claims he's involved in a crew of Albanians that went to jail. And he's had some choice words for me. So I told him, you know why? I says, I'm going to give you 15 seconds. This is what I'm going to do for you. I says, first, if you are who you are, I know you're a dog. I says, because while your friends are all in prison, what are you doing home? I said, second, if they had no evidence against you, when all your friends got, went to prison because they challenged the Gambino family, why didn't you go kill anybody for them? I said, so you, you're talking like a killer, but you're not a killer because you're not in jail with them. You didn't get revenge for them. And any of those guys on that case, as much as I don't want to disrespect them, they didn't kill anybody. So where do these guys get off talking or even questioning me or my life when they have no knowledge of it? So I have no business questioning your life or disrespecting you in any which way unless I was involved with you or unless I told you, I used the name earlier, Vito Guzzo, because like him or leave him or like or disagree with his crew of crimes, and they mm -hmm. try to kill me in, in reports, all mm -hmm. the guys that cooperated said they try to kill me 10 times. So 
they have the right to talk about me because we were going back and forth, trying to kill each other, shooting each other, robbing each other. So they do have the right, even if I disagree. I personally give them the respect either way. If I like them or disagree, but I respect them. There's a difference, like in sports, like in anything. But when guys are talking out of school that don't even understand this life, and they get on a chat and they want to feel important, with, especially when guys reach out to me and talk, they're only talking because this isn't, ni this isn't 1985 or 86 or 87 or 90 or of 95. Course. We all know of that. Of course. Okay. So the biggest mistake anybody ever made in life is when they challenge and threaten somebody because that's usually when you, you talk to a serious guy that uh, you can have an issue. Now, with me, I don't take them serious because if, they were, if the, the, there's enemies out there, through. there's a lot of guys out there right. that don't like me, right? A lot of guys out there want to kill me. But they're not on the internet talking about it. Those are the guys I got to worry about. Not these idiots that sure. are getting in touch with me trying to get attention. Sure. So you got a guy like Johnny Burke, I'm going to use him. He's got a life sentence. This is a guy that was around the Ruggiano family. He was a drug addict. Got baseball batted by Carmine and John Gotti Jr. Did nothing about it. This is a guy that let his family sit in the street with no money. Didn't buy him a house. I had to give him 60000 to buy the house. This is a guy that left Citrus County Jail twice to go meet with the prosecutors. He didn't go to Disney World and try to make a deal. This is a guy whose mother threatened us in 2001 if we didn't give him money, he was gonna rat. This is a guy that got run over by Brendan Gebbett and did nothing about it, sat in the hospital, they came running to me, can you help me? This is a guy that was with me on the robbery in Valley Stream when I robbed Jojo Carrazzo and Ronnie Wanham's bookmaker that refused to come, he was scared. This is a guy whose brother married a police officer but calls everybody a rat. This is a guy who they did the whole house of an FBI agent for free. Him and his brother were meeting with him, but he calls everybody a rat. This is a guy who teaches his kids to talk just like him, and this is the problem why I keep doing these shows for kids, because don't follow these guys. They're full of shit. They ain't about nothing. And this is a guy that, Matty, I won't say his last name, shot him in the throat because he talked too much Johnny Burke. This is a guy in jail that was getting shaken down. And in Citrus County, when he came to the jail I was at, I got him in a sally port, and I told him, I know you're rat, and he cried. This is the same guy that's talking on internets, because they can Google, they can use the internet now from prison. This is a guy that if I told him to do anything I wanted, he would have did it, and said, please, can I do it again? So when they're able to talk on internets and computers, because it's a different world, but no one's talking about this, and his family doesn't know all this stuff, but his mother knows that's you, and I made Guys that are cooperating, Patsy Adriano, Dave Darpino, Peter Sicaro, I made every one of them, before all these cases come, go pay his mother before he snitches and he rats on us. And this is a guy in 1994, got out of trouble for a state case and got out of jail that we were questioning how he got out. And I can go on, you know, with more stories about him. So when these guys talk, the problem is their mouths not, you know, they're not sewed shut. You can't stop them from talking. So they want to change the storyline, what happened? This is the first guy that rolled out all these guys. Right? So when his sister or somebody's talking, they, I don't even blame them because they're hearing it from him. Or when Gotti's kids are talking, because I tell my kids, shut your mouth and mind your business about my life, use the regular kids. If any gangster wants to be a gangster still with me, I'm very accessible. I don't leave New York. So if you still think you're that killer, then you're allowed to take a shot, jump. Like we used to stay in the street, right? You're froggy, take a jump, leap. So what are you talking about kids for? I don't want to talk about anybody's kids. So, you know, I make this very easy for anybody that still says they're gangsters. Just what you said, it's over. 
But if they wanted to be a gangster, go ahead. You know where you're going to end up. You're going to end up in your own life. If that's you're trying to get a name off yourself for talking that's about what I'm saying. It's a different else. life today. Like yeah. you said, fear and structure was the key. And those two things, when you lose those two things, it's tough to, uh, uh, tough to control. So, uh, you, you know the whole part. You said something. You said, uh, I'm trying to change my life. But you also don't believe certain things change about a person, right? Like uh, you comment something about change. You've lived this life for a while. How do you, I know you said something, you had a hard time going to sleep at night, you're still having to see a therapist sometimes, talking to some people, you know, to kind of be able to flush it out. It's not like you only did it for a year, two years, three years. You, you lived this life for oh, some time. I, How are you I'm keeping up to stay changed? Because like, I was diagnosed with PTSD. I don't hide that fact because I try to help soldiers and other people that have been diagnosed with it. I don't hide the fact that I see a therapist. I don't hide the fact, I'm like an alcoholic, I said it over and over again. It's easy for me to hurt somebody or kill somebody. That's the easy part. For me, it's easy. I don't say anything different. The hard part is not doing it when they talk crazy and talk stupid and this. So you have to work at things, right? So I get through it day, each day. So today I get through today, I worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. But I'm not going to change who I am. So who I am is this. I don't need to call 10 guys. And the reason why I said when I baseball batted this guy and I say who's there, I'm by myself. When I shot these guys, I'm by myself. I, because I want people to understand. I don't need 20 guys to feel strong. And I didn't need 100 guys to say I'm cooperating now because they betrayed me. I just ran through this. The mob betrayed me, I didn't betray them. So I'm not gonna switch that on me. I'm not one of these dumb guys. I was educated, college educated, street educated. I'm college educated. Yeah, I went to college also. So I, I didn't graduate the four years, but I went to college three years. So I'm educated and I understand life, right? And I understand if John Gotti Jr. ever turned around and, and learned to be a gentleman, shook my hand and said, let's forget about the past because there's a ton of guys out there that tried to kill me that I'm friends with now. The guy Stevie knew that he planned on killing me and I shot him, we're friends. Because there's a level of respect. Again, I'm gonna go back to level of respect. But when you want to bullshit the public and yourself and throw your garbage on me and you're not man enough to say, this is what I did, mm. I'll never be your friend. I'll never respect you. So when you turn around and you be a gentleman and say, okay, this is what happened, I couldn't take the life anymore. Yeah, I did cooperate. I'm good with it. I don't care. I'm not going to hold nothing against you because I moved on. There's guys that robbed my money, big, big money, like that kid in uh, Marco. 750000 I don't go looking to kill him. He's Do you still the miss the lights? Do you still miss any of it? Anybody that says they don't miss the life, in my opinion, that's been in the life like we were, is a liar. I think we all miss the life. But the only difference is we get older, we get smarter, we understand there is no loyalty. And I think you miss, like we all say, camaraderie and all that. And I joke about it. I said, well, join a bowling team. So if you miss the camaraderie. But I know that this life of what I thought it was as a young man, as a kid, does not exist. So, you know, my friends that I, when I am together with my friends, the guys I grew up with and we go to the beach or we go as families, I don't miss the mob when I'm with them because again, now you're with real friends and you don't gotta look over your shoulder and I don't gotta worry about getting in a car and I don't gotta worry about anything with them. And you know, there's no treachery. There's only true friendship and love for each other and our families. And this is the part that kids really gotta understand because I know I was there. I know that it's enticing. Right, and all this is enticing. But just what you said, I'll be a liar to tell you, you know, Ralph Natale from Philly said, I sleep like a baby. And do I like Ralph? He's an all right guy, but I said he's full of shit. Because I, don't, I think if you talk to anybody who's been in the armed forces, seen action, or anybody from the streets, or a police officer that, that did shootings, 
you're not sleeping. You're a liar. It's just not possible. You just, you know, because subconsciously there's guilt. And, you know, you ask me, it seems like I don't care earlier. I do care. That's why I go to therapy all the time. I did get in touch with, so you just, for information, you and the public, I got in touch with tons of my victims. Some would talk to me, some wouldn't. I cried with some and some I didn't. But this show is not about how I feel. This is not about my personality of, you know, regret. Nobody wants to hear that because, it, and at that point, it doesn't mean anything if they do or don't. It does to me of, of the families I need to speak to and the, and the families I need to apologize or the families. But again, and I'll be a liar if I say anything different, I'm still the same guy. So that means if somebody busted in this room right now and would try to hurt us. You're still I, capable. I'm, of course I am. I'll be a liar if I say I wasn't. What's the story that GQ did on you? GQ Magazine did a story on you. What, what was it about? GQ talked to me about, I did a Netflix series. And this was just out. a month ago. This was yeah, a couple months ago. Yeah, just a month ago. ago. Yeah. I did a Netflix thing that's coming out, and they spoke to me about that. It's about uh, five families, and this is also about. Uh, is it five families with the author, the, the 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 same guy that wrote the book, Five Families? No, no. Okay, got it. And it's just the, uh, the you know history of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a new <coughs> book out now, actually, Gotti's Boys with uh, Tony DiStefano. Mm -hmm. Actually, he, you know, I talked to him, and uh, I was skimming through the book. I haven't read it all, and it's a pretty good book. So, you know. It's a different perspective. He speaks about me in some of the books. Pretty accurate? Is it some accurate Yeah, story? what I read is, is some of it's accurate, some of it's not. You know, I, I called him on one of them, and it's, uh, uh, you know, he was talking about Mark Ryder, and I was, you know, somebody said because of my age, you know, he doesn't believe I was with him. During, and I says to him, you know what's funny? I says, and I says, listen, you're never going to get a book completely factual. I says, Mark Ryder, I took him on a run when he went to Disney World, I took him. Mm -hmm. When he went to uh, California, I took him with a woman, Rosemary Finelli, and we helped him get apartments, and he went other places. So when they talk, they don't really have the facts. And, you know, I, I, I love that family, and I, and I feel terrible for whatever happened to his life, and he lost his son, and his son was a, a great friend of mine, and, you know, they never found the body. And you get guys like my other friend, and this is the treachery of life, Keith Pellegrino. I, since he's a kid, he was one of my drug partners, I know him, I got him, guys wanted to hurt him, I saved him. The same guy that stayed with us knew about Greg's murder and never told us and hid it from us and was involved with one of the guys that was involved in his mm. murder. That's the treachery of the life. And he's not a tough guy, Keith. Actually, he was a punk. You know, so if it wasn't for me protecting him, he would end up dead. So how do you do that to one of our friends, right? So this is why I'm saying to kids, get away from this life. Go play baseball, go to school, go become a lawyer, go become a, a truck driver. Do something legitimately, do what you're doing, journalism, but don't end up on the street because there is no true friendships there. And, and, and I would say, you know, a lot of times people ask me, they say, why do you, why do you interview people uh, in this world? And I said, you know, first of all, I, the, 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 the interview community, the mobster community came purely accidental. Obviously, I grew up with a lot of uh, uh, the history of it, studying it, you know, the whole Godfather, it's, you know, it's a very, if you ask any CEO entrepreneur, a lot of people will say one of the most powerful movies you can watch or learn about business, The Godfather, one and two, maybe not three, but you can learn a lot about business. And it gives different perspectives on uh, what you can do with business. But, but if there's one thing uh, about it is hearing all these different stories and knowing there's always a power play to be done and if you are too naive, like you said earlier, and you're not antis anticipating next move and making notes of certain people's behavior in some strange moments, it could catch up to you. That could happen in business, just like it is in your world. The difference is in your world, you could get killed. 
in a business world, you're put out of business. Well, you know, I talked earlier about this kid, Frank, a big yeah. guy I hurt, right? We'll use him as an example. I like the guy. It was nothing personal. The, the Johnny Canigia and the Johnny, Genie at the time asked me to hurt him over the drug business. But the thing is, I liked him, I respect him, he, and he was legitimately a tough kid. He was a big kid, 6'5", mm-hmm. whatever. His friends, tough guys, left him. Left him. And they didn't retaliate with him afterwards. And they didn't try that. Now they're talking. These same guys had the opportunity, and this is why I'm telling kids, not even just one end, the other end. The yeah. guys I even hurt, or well, guys you know, I, I uh-huh. respect. I, I, I'm trying to say, even the guys like that, look what's going on to them. Where's their friends when they needed them? There was a made guy at the time, Jerry Asara was with him, standing with him, and I told him, get lost or I'll hurt you too. And he walked. His father just got a, a basically a life sentence for any Sarah. They accused him of being involved mm. with, with the Latanza stuff. And so, but his son, so, and his other friend, Frankie, now is in the neighborhood with a big mouth. Where were you when he needed you? Where were you coming now 30 years later when we were all retired? Where were you when we were all loading guns? And I say that, forget about shooting a gun. These guys never loaded a gun unless it was a water pistol. So I'm trying to say the same thing over and over and over again right. as much as I can. These kids need to understand, stay away from this life because they don't, they think that just like I did as a kid, and it's very hard fame, for them to make prestige, them understand. you know, the it's whole nine, you know, the movie Goodfellas, and you go out and the ladies and, you know, the cars and all that stuff, which a p- part of it is true. I mean, when I talk to a lot of these guys, Listen, you guys have partied hard, you guys have had a lot of fun. I own the hottest nightclubs around, I had everything, but I'm gonna tell you, when I sat in that cell alone and yeah. it was all over, Every one of my friends in that life started ratting on me, all of them, like 50 guys, 50-something actually. Mm. They all went to the grand juries on me. You can check with Florida, prosecutor, middle district of Florida yeah. and ask them. Because when these conversations started, I think it was 54 was the number actually that ratted on me. All these mob-made guys ratting on me. When all the money was gone, so was all the women. Sure. So was all everybody else and so was my, even my other friends that were from the street that weren't killers but they were, you know, playing around on the street with drugs. and There was nobody near me. I was alone in a cell. And I'm going to tell you like I tell everybody, because if you're going to be fake, you can't talk to kids. And you're sitting in that cell, and you're crying. And I like when somebody said, did you cry? Yeah, I'm a man. I'm not a robot. Of course I cried. And I said, well, you did this, you did that. I'm not asking anybody to feel bad for me. I says, that's not why I'm saying it. I'm saying it to kids so they understand right. that this ain't all about that. And, and when your kids aren't seeing you, and I didn't see some of my kids, I have four kids, I didn't see two of them for 10 years. Uh, you know, so I had disagreements with the mom, and the mom, and I'm friends with her now, with a reconciliation, she's remarried. But this is the reality of the life that the kids got to understand. And when my uncle died, he was like my father. I lived with him in California. I didn't see him. I never get to say goodbye to him. And you know, you're sitting in that cell and you're crying your eyes. And there's times when you're crying. So no one is saying to me, well, poor you, well, fuck you, you know, because I know people out there. Sure. And I'm not asking anybody to say, poor me. I'm not asking anybody. This is my life. I stood on my two feet, and I got to accept everything. But the reality of a kid that wants to go on the street is, I need to tell you, you're going to cry. And if you say you're not, I know tough guys, killers. I mean, killers, they ain't never getting out of jail. And I got a ton of friends that are on the street still in jail and, and off the street. So people will say, well, I seen him with this guy. I don't lie and say I don't know them anymore. A lot of them are my friends still. I just ain't involved with them anymore. I'll have lunch with them around the world. I'm talking about gangsters in and out of jails. I got a ton of friends in jails. I got fan guys that write me on a constant basis. 
I said, I shouldn't use the word fan. I said, because I respect them for writing me from jail, and they tell me we wish we could be man enough mm -hmm. or do what you're doing. And I said, it took me a long time to be a man like this. It's easy doing the other stuff. I'll say it over again. Easy to shoot and kill. This is the hard part, to admit all this stuff and try to get, convince some kids if you can save one or two. This is terrible time to want to live that life because you got 300 million cameras everywhere. You got 300 million cameras. Everybody's doing live. Everything is recorded. Everybody's walking over to record. It's a terrible time to do it. But watch the news, right? And I'm not even talking about gangsters, just criminals doing dumb shit, and they know there's a camera there, and they still do it. And they're almost saying cheese on the camera, and they're walking That's down the block. That's what I'm saying to you. They, they, obviously, there's a lot of fools, but one of the great equalizers, I believe, of getting people to not want to uh, go in that direction of a life is social media. I think that's, that's done. The social media and smartphones have changed the game. John, what book are you currently working on that we can share with our audience? If there was one book we could share, which one would it well, be? Well, this is Susan Pike with me. It's uh, called uh, Darkest Hour. There's going to be a series, Darkest Hour 2 and 3. Okay. Uh, this was a setup book after Gotti's Rules, because I did Gotti's Rules with George Anastasia. And the setup book, uh, we don't really talk about my childhood. This is a setup book for 2 and 3. And 2 and 3, I'm going to really get into all these things I'm mm -hmm. talking about, shootings, mm -hmm. I'm going to get into more. But this book, different than the first, Gotti's Rules, is I'm going to list, just like I did, names, like I just did now. And I'm going to make sure that there's going to be people that were there, witnesses. So if somebody wants to contact and see the truthfulness, I guess it's they can contact them. And then I'm going to do a scorecard of every gangster I mentioned in that book. How many armed robberies they did, how many actual shootings they did themselves. That should be what interesting. Are they about? Uh, you're going to piss off a lot of people if they're alive. You're going to piss off a lot of those. Well, uh, it's going to be interesting for them to come back and say, that's not true. Who, I did this well, many. I had this many who's numbers. Gonna say, if I say Carmine Ignello, I'm going to use him because he had a big mouth over right. the years. Right, the brother-in-law. Yeah. And he ran to Cleveland and his courtroom got shut down in a 16-count indictment that does not go away. And I guess somebody can talk to uh, Giuliani He's the one that was married to the sister? Yeah. Yeah. Never yet used a gun in his life. So was he going to all of a sudden get balls up and get a gun and come looking for me? So, you know, to me, I'm just going to bring out, let these guys, and if you want to do the right thing, maybe you should talk to your kids and tell them the same thing and other kids. Let's not follow this life because... I, I got nothing against any of their kids. I, you know, I hope their kids don't ever follow us. And I hope my kids do the same. And I've had problems with one of my sons. So, you know, the, the, the reality is, break the cycle, right? This is a terrible time to want to go that life. Terrible time to want to go that route. Uh, John, uh, again, thank you for flying out to Dallas to do this sit down. Thanks for coming out. Thank you too, Pat. Yeah, appreciate, appreciate you. Thanks everybody for listening. And by the way, if you haven't already subscribed to Valuetainment on iTunes, please do so. Give us a five star, write a review if you haven't already. And if you have any questions for me that you may have, you can always find me on Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. Just search my name, Patrick Bid David. And I actually do respond back when you snap me or send me a message on Instagram. With that being said, have a great day today. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.